I bet a lot of people are doing like crappy link building and working with any affiliate that will give them money. And that's a big part of it too, is we're picking the right clients and being willing to say no to people. I'm Pay Player. I don't do fluff. I don't do filler. I don't do emojis. What I do is study winners in B2B because I want to know how much is strategy, how much is luck, and how do they win? This week, Ross Hudgens, founder and CEO at Siege Media, an SEO-focused content marketing agency. There are hundreds of content marketing agencies around and more on the way. The competition is fierce, and with over 100 headcount, Siege's monthly payroll is high. So, how do they compete? How do they win? In this episode, we'll talk about the importance of choosing high-quality clients. Being willing to say, this is not good enough, we won't work with you unless you do it, almost always gets them to work with you. We hear about the value of adding high-quality services to your offering. We have to win on every single variable, and the content experience is one of those variables. And we talk about the power of building a personal brand. I think people want to follow people. They don't want to follow brands. Let's get into it. Ross, uh, you started your agency about 11 years ago. Back then, was it just yourself? Did you have co-founders? Uh, just me. Just you. And now you are how many people? Uh, over 100. Over 100 people. It's an SEO content marketing agency. And I can name another 500 or so just on top of my head. And on, of course, if I would Google this, I would find another 10,000. Most of those SEO agencies are small. So tell me, walk me through some of the strategic bets you made over the course of the years that have gotten your company to where it is today. I mean, early days, we started as just another vanilla SEO agency, but I was doing link building and content on the side, or that was kind of my focus and knowledge uh, specifically that I felt I was good at and just saw an opportunity that this market and just knew from exposure was significant in size. So I effectively learned eventually I could lean into a big pie and just pick a piece of that pie that no one else was really representing very clearly and lean into that. And that's kind of how I leaned into content marketing specifically as part of that SEO pie. And over time, definitely knowing SEO helped in and knowing how the industry was changing. We've stayed ahead in terms of adding service lines that other people might not be willing to invest in yet that allow it have slowly also allowed us to move up market over time as well. And that's kind of a a moat that we feel like we're establishing in terms of where we are large, so we're reliable to bigger brands because of that. We paid for a premium website that I think also reflects an upmarket message. We have good brands on roster that we've continued to add over time, which again, kind of reinforces that from a compounding snowball point of view. And those kinds of things have moved us up. Over time, we did have some competitors in the marketplace it started as just link building. It's gone more and more brand over time and gotten better there. And there are people who just do off-target link bait work. And we realize there's more value from brand, which also lines up market with search volume driven content that also can generate links. So we've leaned into kind of a high quality approach that ties to brand while a lot of other people in the marketplace that were SEOs just didn't get that and went off topic let's go viral that Pepsi can't do very often anyways. Brand and differentiation are inseparable. The less awareness there is about you, the more differentiation you need. 
The more saturated the space that you're in, the more differentiation you need to stand out and get noticed. If you start a new health supplements company, you can't be about health and fitness goals. It's been done to death. That place is already occupied. It will take insane amounts of money to build a new brand there. To stand out and get noticed, you need to be, as Seth Godin puts it, a purple cow. Consumers don't care about you at all. They just don't care. Part of the reason is they got way more choices than they used to and way less time. And in a world where we have too many choices and too little time, the obvious thing to do is just ignore stuff. And my parable here is you're driving down the road and you see a cow and you keep driving. Because you've seen cows before, cows are invisible, cows are boring. Who's gonna stop and pull over and say, oh, look, a cow? Nobody. <laughs> but if the cow was purple, you'd notice it for a while. I mean, if all cows are purple, then you get bored with those too. A strong brand is the reason why companies are successful. It is not a reward for its success. A lot of the best brands are exclusive. The more appeal you have for a segment, the more you need to repel others. So, if your supplements brand, or even your agency, is for people that are into, let's say, orgies and heavy metal, it just might work. Probably nobody owns that space in the mind of the customer, yet. You said you, you invested in services that other companies did not invest in. What were those things? Yeah, some things we've done more recently, we've started adding UX design. So we hired multiple UX designers and we we're helping as things keep getting harder from a content standpoint, we're helping clients level up their content experience because that wasn't as needed like three years ago as everything was not as competitive. But now we have to win on every single variable and the content experience is one of those variables. So we've added that. We're doing interactivity. We have photography, video. We're doing things like you do with video. And I think that has also helped us, even though we're not getting a ton of views, it's clear we're premium. And a lot of SEO agencies that you go to their website, they're crappy. They don't have a way of reflecting a premium service very clearly. How, how soon into your journey did you figure out that you want to be premium or you should be premium? It, just, it was kind of iterative, to be honest. It, we kind of moved mid-market, but something about content and SEO, we knew... If the SEO pie is only so large, you technically have to be more upmarket to for that to be a big enough PL line item for us to potentially be like part of a technical suite and then someone's hiring us as well. And as Google has gone up market and we just see those sites winning long term, it's just a survival mechanism in some ways as well. Which maybe is not the most helpful from a positioning for other people standpoint, but yeah, we're kind of making a bet on who we who, who we see are the winning SEO sites long term to also align our service to those websites to also be successful. And so I bet a lot of people are doing like crappy link building and working with any affiliate that will give them money. And that's a big part of it too, is we're picking the right clients and being willing to say no to people as part of our positioning and our service selection too. So t tell me more about the client selection process. So how do you choose who is a good, good fit client? One, we'll look at, did they recently get funding? So are they Series A plus? Maybe they've started to establish some product market fit that people like them. That's a good indicator that they're trending up in the, in the right direction and potentially could win. One, are they actually the best product in the space? So very often, the best product is not actually ranking in search yet. So if they're best or at least like top couple, good chance we can help accelerate them to get there. Are they actually adding value or do they just rank for things? 
people that are just ranking for things, which tend to be like affiliate sites, aren't doing anything special. And those people probably will lose long-term. And even though they can pay us 10K a month, they're going to churn. We're going to have to replace them. They're not going to be a great case study. And all of that kind of compounds to success over time, in my opinion. Another interesting thing you said that in order to be premium, that you also had to recruit, quote unquote, premium people. So like experienced people who know what they're doing. So what were some of the strategies to attract those people to join your, I guess, back then much smaller agency? Uh, there was definitely an element of faking until we make it, for sure. We continue to improve our hiring quality. A lot of that is as we've slowly laddered up, we're charging more. And in turn, now we can afford to, one, pay more experienced people that were already in our org, but also hire outside people at higher rates. And we have a good-looking, in my opinion, uh, biased careers page. We did a careers video. We're investing in recruiting effectively through that. And I think those are good differentiators. When hiring, hiring is everything in agency. So that's just got to be really dialed in to get people to, to join, for sure. War for talent is real. It's very hard for small businesses to compete with the Googles and Shopify's of the world. Lots of people want to work for Google or Apple, but it's nobody's dream to work for your small company. One advantage and note you can have is founder's personal brand. I can't tell you how many top applicants want to work at CXL or Winter because they want to work with me. That's an advantage most any small company with a visible founder can have. Another thing you can do as a small business, accept and be transparent that you're a farm club. You're the Timberwolves when everyone else wants to join the Lakers. As soon as the Lakers come shopping, they'll happily upgrade. You can't match their pay, you can't match the prestige. So, you need to scout for unproven talent. But... You'll get a lot more playing time on the Timberwolves, though. Same advantage for a startup or agency. If you want to bet on yourself, a small company is a much better chance to shine. As an employer, you can explicitly say that we'll give you more responsibility in coaching here than you'd get elsewhere. So you can go get the job at Google in two or three years, if you want. There's a two-year-old creative agency called Rise at 7, who's been wildly successful at becoming an employer of choice. They do three things really well. One. The flywheel is social media, mainly LinkedIn and Twitter. It starts with attracting people who are eager to post on social anyway. This is mainly the younger demographic. Every employee is encouraged to post on social daily, and company founders amplify their voices. The social content is mainly about the great work they do. This is the other side of the coin. They go for clients that agree to be talked about, who want publicity, who want to win awards. And the work they do for the client becomes an endless source of social content. Two. They have great training programs. And they promise that this is the company you would join if you want to become the best in the creative marketing field. And three, they're not afraid to take a stand and be vocal about their point of view. One example, while the dominant chatter is all about remote work, they're proudly office first. This again attracts a certain demographic and helps their culture. You mentioned also then that you invested in the content design, UX design of content and video and things like that. When you're working with clients, is that something that they come to you and they want that? Or is it that during your pitch, when they come to you for link building and you say, well, also reasons to work with us instead of these other guys is because we also do this, this, this. Exactly what you said. Rarely do people come to us wanting UX design. We tell them they need it to win. It's kind of one of those things where if you have a crappy looking website, if I'm pitching content 
or want to rank, it just won't without that experience. So that's kind of a necessary evil. Uh, we don't try to very often like make high margin off of it, but if it gets us a three-year client, it's worthwhile. But when it is a service that, yeah, they're not coming to you for, it's almost like let's charge close to cost to get it done. And hopefully that'll change over time. That's currently how we think we're thinking about it. It does help position us, I think, in that uh, a lot of other people that aren't potentially sophisticated will just say, yep, we'll build five links offsite for you. But we're telling them, you're not going to win unless you do this. This is why this is kind of the philosophy we have and kind of having that those stances and being willing to say, this is not good enough. We won't work with you unless you do it. Almost always gets them to work with you, um, in my experience. If I'm a prospective customer looking for an SEO fund marketing link building agency, and I'll land on your site. Are you saying something unique about yourself, about like why you work with you? Yes, I think our site in particular says we're premium because I'm biased, but a good, I think we have a better than average looking website as compared to the market, which also says we care about design, which we do. Design is a huge part of what makes us like what we do specifically from a content standpoint, a lot of people think writing, but we have like 35 designers on staff. So we're communicating that. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're pitching. Uh, <laughs> we have good logos on there, uh, which I think speaks to the kind of people that we work with. We're saying, you're like this company, hopefully, if you're going to reach out and talk to us. Yeah, I think our positioning, we also try to not be the same kind of link building as everyone else by helping people rank for things and get them links that way more and more. Uh, and not many people are doing that. And we can only accomplish that through really good content and also working with brands that can actually rank for things because they're authoritative from the get-go. Although we're helping mid-tier move up for sure as part of what we do as well. Have you rolled out any, let's say, proprietary frameworks or models or the Siege Media master link building framework, something like this, have you doubled in anything like that? We definitely have a clear process. We have a course that we effectively built just to train our own team. And we make a small amount of sales on it. It's not anything remarkable. But uh, that course breaks down exactly our process. There is a framework of adding certain designs, building shareable elements that lower the friction for someone to link to us. We have a very clear template for that outreach email that's proven. So there's many steps that all glue together into a process that works. And we're iterating and adding on that. So some of the things I talked about, like there has to be a UX design at the top. Are there like passive link intent things that they can rank for? People have seen different elements of this process, but it's really connecting it all together and also doing it over and over again as a team that just compounds in knowledge as compared to like just having 10% of your work be content creation as an SEO agency. Walk me through some of the marketing stuff that you have done. So going from zero to 100 plus people is, is no small feat. The monthly payroll, I can only imagine what that is. <laughs> and so in order to, you know, hit it every month and, you know, and be comfortable, you need leads, right? Of course, retention is a huge part of it. So walk me through how your marketing has evolved. What was it like back in the day and what are you investing in right now? Amazingly, it's not wildly different. It has been similar to you. We've done a lot of personal branding exercise with myself that will amplify a lot of Siege content. 
Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Content and Links. Today I wanted to share my opinion on the dangers of one size fits all link building. We eventually added a videographer who's been a big part of it to create high quality content and edit it and position us in that premium way. We also use that as a service offering too. It's not a huge part of our, our profit to be transparent about that, but it's mostly about the B2B element of thought leadership and building trust that you can do via camera. I think people need to trust you when they're spending that much money with you. And that can be identified just through that conversation. I realized the power of a personal brand and its business impact early on. When I studied my conversion optimization agency, I made it my goal to be a top name in the industry. How can you do the same? How can you become a top name in your industry? Well, you need to start putting yourself out there. Step one, be consistent. On social, you want to be posting every single day or multiple times a day, depending on the channels. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter predominantly myself, but you need to ask where are the people that you want to reach? Where are they hanging out? And choose the networks that make sense for you. Obviously, if you're consistently boring, then that doesn't help your cause. You want to be consistently interesting, which is, of course, a high bar. Nobody is 100% interesting all the time, but you can at least try and become more interesting, add value to the conversation happening in your domain, and it really helps if you stick to just one category or subject because then people can easily put you in a box as somebody knowledgeable and interesting about that particular topic. If you're running out of things to say on social, then talk about what you've learned. What are the top things you'll learn about hiring? The top things you'll learn about motivation? When you make top 10 lists personal, you have a story personal stories and lessons learned are the most impactful content for social media. People really love stories about personal experiences. It just sounds more natural. Instead of just throwing out meaningless platitudes like, well, work hard and become successful, people are not going to eat that up. It's much easier to speak from experience. Just put yourself out there and be consistent with interesting content. That's my advice. So we're doing more and more of that. It has gotten more iterative recently. I think you're, you're doing a great job and actually have inspired some of our kind of recent thought process pivots. It's like even having content on the blog doesn't get reached anymore as compared to just going all in on like content that lives on social or LinkedIn. It's just going to get more reach than even a blog post. And we can't compete with Ahrefs or Moz to rank for things. So we've been going more social text and video that lives there natively and being okay with that and seeing amazing reach from doing that in, in recent months. In a previous episode, Chris Walker of Refine Labs spoke in detail about using LinkedIn as a key part of their go-to-market strategy. We got our first two customers through comments that I left on LinkedIn. And then those people saw my comment said, oh, this person now is the CEO of this company. I worked with them before. I'm going to give him a shot. I don't think a lot of people are committed enough to the channel or to content creation in general, especially someone as the CEO they wouldn't do the things that I'm willing to do because it's our primary go-to-market. We don't have a sales team. It's our primary go-to-market to get revenue. Back to my conversation with Ross. So I wrote this article that I thought was pretty good. And then I counted basically the page views it got over six months or something. And basically I got, I get as many page views in two days in on LinkedIn to my stuff. It's like, <laughs> yeah, what am I doing? Is this really worth it? Yeah, exactly. And of course, the lifetime of a LinkedIn post is just, you know, a few days. But of course, then recycling. I've also put it on YouTube and Twitter and uh, send it to my email list and, you know, whatever. And there's probably 
better, smarter ways to repurpose content. So definitely, uh, that's kind of a next iteration. I want to add more quality and like pull in our designers and why not do that on on those things as well. But yeah, the, unfortunately, all those networks are cutting off content distribution. So you just got to iterate with what's working and it's native content. And it's probably going to keep going that direction. I don't see any reason why that's ever going to change, at least on those networks. When you're making your future bets for content distribution, so okay, right now you're on your, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn. Are you gonna tap into uh, TikTok and beyond? Email, I think, is continually one to think about. We've been trying to improve our list there, and that is one reason to send people to your site for sure to get them on your list. And sometimes it just has to be done through blog content. I don't really have the mind space to really do that well, to be honest, but we're, we are distributing our YouTube videos or things through that, through our list. And it's still important in terms of bets. Yeah. I think just continuing to kind of shifting more to that personal mindset. I have realized also as agency and one reason I believe our, we have a really high quality YouTube channel in my opinion, but we don't have a ton of subscribers. I think people want to follow people. They don't want to follow brands. Like if that was called Ross Hudgens or something, but there's a balance. People want to hire agencies, not a person. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I looked at like uh, who are the top TikTok people that were like brands, channels, creators uh, that their people follow. And it's mostly personalities. Hello, you guys. It's Charlie. And today I'm going to be showing you how I make my coffee at home. Yay. <laughs> it's not like the Funny Cats channel or I think even in B2B, it's like like, I don't care what Privy is saying, but I want to see what Dave Gerhardt is saying, you know? Most people, when I talk about this, they don't want to believe it because they say, hold on, Dave, if the people inside my company become the brand and then they leave the company, then I'm screwed. What happens? Well, that's what can happen sometimes, but that's the risk that you have to take because today people don't want to deal with nameless, faceless corporations. They want to work with people. Yeah, the G2 team has done a great job with that. I feel like I haven't seen them as much recently doing it, but it was just, I feel like for a while, you just felt like every single person on G2 was just all over LinkedIn. And Jonathan Dane's team on Client Boost is doing a great job of that. Yeah, they're all commenting on each other's stuff, amplifying their, yeah, good group effort uh, <laughs> for sure. So it's interesting. You said that you cannot outrank Moz and Ahrefs, you know, and, you know, being an SEO link building agency that must hurt a little bit. Is, is that something that you've like accepted as that's how it is? Or is it like, give us three years and then We consider some alternatives. Something that Neil Patel did was buy Ubersuggest. I think a huge part of that was investing in it. I wouldn't say we're completely ignoring trying to rank, but that is one element that we're at that threshold moment where we might be able to afford just buying a free tool and redirect it into Siege. And I think that could help take our, I think, quality content and give it enough authority to rank against those heavy hitters. And that would be a big bet I, I have been thinking about. But otherwise, search in general is not always an amazing channel for services besides as a top funnel standpoint. It's a comparison channel. You don't want to not do it, but you're getting compared against 10 other people on content marketing services. You'd rather them just see you on video or, or me on video and our team on video and just say, I trust that person. I'm willing to pay what I believe that person's going to charge me fairly and give me a good service. I'm not even going to compare anyone else. I'd rather, much rather go those channels. It's like what Byron Sharp is, you know, talking about the mental availability. You want to be thought of in buying situations by category buyers. We're polygamous in our loyalty. 
it's largely a battle for mental and physical availability, which those two things together make things easy to buy. So it is a constant ongoing battle for attention, not love. You want to be that reference point. And I think that's a great way of thinking about positioning for anybody. And you're a much better expert at this than I am. But I think when people think of SEO-focused content marketing agencies, there's very few people they think of. And that's because we've done a pretty solid job of that. Let's say, you know, like there's a trend with agency consolidations. You know, there's brain labs is buying up people left and right. So there's money concentrated. So are you thinking about scenarios where like, hey, five years from now, there's going to be a mass consolidation of like agencies and just more money is coming into the space. So somebody can pull a masterclass like you've seen, like how much they invested in SEO and now is like ridiculous amount of traffic. They rank for food recipes and, you know, whatnot. So they, somebody can come in and just completely overrun you with more money. So you need certain moats. Are you planning ahead? Are you thinking about this? I do think personal brand is a moat like that. It's just hard to outpace. So those things, I think, will continually be reinforcing. Like you can't, it's hard to catch up out all of a sudden from that. It can be done and accelerated, but continuing to invest in product quality will be something we, I think everyone should do. Like we hired a VP of learning and development recently, VP of client strategy, just to continue to improve our product offering and the UX design, as I touched on. And just whatever kind of just hits me or us of like, this is what you need to win on content-driven SEO, we'll go place that bet almost immediately. So it's really changing with what the market is saying. We have done that. And that's one reason we keep, I believe we're keep winning is because we're ahead of trend and people are like copycatting versus actually caring about this thing. And I do care about that. And we do care about that. And I think as long as we keep doing that, we'll hopefully knock on wood, stay ahead of the, the curve here. So when you look back at you know yourself 10 years ago, and you know, you've gained a lot of experience since then, probably fucked a bunch of shit up. <laughs> what some pieces of advice you would give yourself? Like, hey, don't don't spend too much time doing this, put more resources over here. One thing I would potentially do differently would be we did start an affiliate site from scratch. That was somewhat of a distraction. I think a lot of SEOs and agency, which maybe I'm, I'm actually speaking to the wrong person here, but people will do multiple things. And it's just not my, personally, not my personality. And that site just didn't do, it did solidly. It probably broke even after total investment, but it just was somewhat just of a distraction that I wouldn't go back and do again. I think there's a lot of agencies that try to build software and do a really terrible job, burn through a ton of money. So focusing, I think in so many ways does have value. And if you can do multiple things amazingly well, which you seem to be doing all the power to you, but I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on what, what you advise people. Do you advise people to do multiple things? Or, uh... Yeah. Well, from my perspective, I think distraction is massively destructive. So the only way you can pull it off if you invest in a separate team, so the people who, let's call it the distraction, or let's say a new investment, new bet, you hire a dedicated team of people who only work on the new initiative. So the old business, so the SEO business in your case, would not be affected by the least. I think there's also a person of authority needs to lead the new initiative. So in my case, like started with an agency, then built the e-learning business and now doing SaaS, and I've led each of these new initiatives. 
because I'm you know, authority and I've hired a new team each case, but the old organization was not ready for it until there was a, let's say a mature leadership in place who could run the business while I jump ship. So with the agency, you know, when I started e-learning, there was like a, maybe a one year transition period where I was kind of like both boats wasn't optimal, but it was necessary for the transition until I got out of the agency, my co-founder became the head of agency. And then, I mean, it's grown a lot since I particularly left. And now with e-learning, it's the same thing. I have a very strong management team in place on the SaaS side, on the winter side. It's it's all new, totally new people. I'm still on both boats, but CXL is a very strong management team. And on a day-to-day implementation, I'm not needed. You know, like I'm not doing anything. I'm only like in the strategic capacity involved. Great advice. And that is exactly pinpoints why I probably wasn't successful. We had a great person run it, but it was still someone relatively junior in their career. So that's like that threshold that I imagine even a newer agency that kind of tries to do that. Depends on how successful they are. I imagine a good senior leader is not cheap to do. Hopefully that business wasn't quite in the place where it was just like printing money or anything. So I don't think necessarily... Yeah. I was ready to like go hire a six-figure person to to run it, uh, but that's a good lesson and makes sense that it's really just about appointing a senior person. That's how I affected. We had a good person if they're listening to this, but still junior in their career. I got some pushback on Twitter recently for my comments on this. Basically, if you asked me ten years ago, I would have told you hire for talent, train for skill. But if you asked me today, I'd say you should hire the most experienced person that you can afford. You can move so much faster and get much higher quality from people who know what they're doing and know what great looks like. I still hire plenty of young folks that we coach and guide, but it can take years to get to a level where they can own something without adult supervision. Yes, there are times when you need brute force or more human hours, and skill isn't the main factor, but for critical roles that really matter, hire the best people you can afford. Tell me about some of the bets you're making uh, for the future. So you covered some things, but are there like three priorities? So as you're approaching 2030, or I don't know how long you plan ahead, but what are some of the longer, what are you like doubling down on in terms of your, your investment and strategy? Yeah, I mean, we are iterative. I think like where we want to be in terms of maybe having a presence in England or Australia at some point. Even this year, those are things I'm thinking about. I do tend to move pretty fast, ironically being a little bit shorter term thinking as an SEO person. But some things I'm currently thinking and just really on the fence about are whether or not we should go fully remote or not. As we go up market in terms of servicing better clients and having more senior people, they value remote. We want to pay better. That's a massive real estate cost. We're like on the cusp of a lease expiring in Austin, actually, and trying to ask myself, and I think I'm leaning towards going fully remote, just given all the other places we could spend that money. Yeah, that's a decision for a lot of companies. Uh, We are not fully remote. We are like more, let's say, let's call it distributed. We have a couple of offices and then some remote people, you know, which is kind of different, uh, has its upsides and downsides. But I have learned about the fully remote that managing people fully remote is not the same as the same things that we've been doing only in Slack. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's tough. We we have like 75% of our team said they want to be fully remote and we already have 50 permanently remote, 50%. So it's like, what is that threshold moment that this just works and is a bet to place because we some of our competitors are fully remote. That event, That's a huge cost that could be a differentiator as well that I've seen put in decks. Like we're full, you're not paying for that expensive office space. <laughs> People say that in decks in the service world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, might have some impact. People are irrational anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ross. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on your guys' progress and then we'll, we'll talk about the remote management in a couple of years and see what you've learned. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, what are the three key strategic decisions that Siege Media has made in order to grow and succeed? One, they went up market and focused on working with high quality clients. We're picking the right clients and being willing to say no to people as part of our positioning and our service selection too. Two, they focus on the quality of their own brand and injecting more client brand into the SEO and content work they do. We realize there's more value from brand, which also lines up market with search volume driven content that also can generate links. Three, they offered more high quality services as the market evolved. Now we have to win on every single variable and the content experience is one of those variables. A final takeaway from Ross. Whatever kind of just hits me or us of like, this is what you need to win on content driven SEO, we'll go place that bet almost immediately. That's how you win. I'm Pep Player. For more tips on how to win, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thank you.